0: Welcome to the Life in the Fasting Lane podcast with your host, Eve Mayer. Join
1: Eve and her guests each week as they discuss how to live a healthier, longer, and more fulfilling life through fasting, keto, and low-carb feasting. Welcome to Life in the Fasting Lane podcast. Each week we are here to educate you, challenge you, encourage you along your journey with intermittent fasting. You can check us out at FastingLane.com, on Twitter, on Instagram, it's all at FastingLane. And today I am joined this week by Dr. Ann Childers. Hello, Ann, how are you?
0: Oh, I'm well, how are you?
1: Fantastic. I spent all last night, my husband was like, you're really gonna watch an hour long video? This lady must be super smart. And I'm like, yes, she is because I have a very short attention span. But I was riveted because Dr. Childers is a child and adult trained psychiatric physician with a special interest in regaining physical and mental health through nutrition and sleep. Mm -hmm. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being with us here today.
0: Oh, it's my honor. Thank you. Mm -hmm.
1: So sleep (laughs) and nutrition, Mm -hmm. eating, And sleeping. I have to say you have picked two of my favorite topics and two of the things I'm very talented at. I'm good at sleeping. I'm good at eating. I'm an entrepreneur. And a lot of times I hear people that are like, you know, I just, I forget to eat. I forget to sleep. And I don't understand either one of those things. And you are a very impressive lady. Would you say that you yourself, the way you treat yourself, do you get enough sleep? Yes. First of all, you
0: do. Absolutely, yes. Now I do. I didn't until I uh, found out that I had sleep apnea last year. Interesting. And really? I was getting bone tired, and I realized that wasn't like me. I was even thinking about leaving psychiatry. I really didn't think I could keep my head in the game. Wow. And uh, so finally, I surrendered to a sleep specialist. And what's ironic is I had been referring people for decades to sleep specialists and it turned out that I really needed one he got me uh, tested set up with my equipment I couldn't be happier with the whole process uh, so you use a CPAP I do and so it's interesting I'll, I'll, I'll say a
1: terrible stereotype that I think when I hear of people using CPAP I always think it's an overweight person and I look at yes. you And you look very fit to me. And I'm really surprised. My parents, who are both Mm -hmm. overweight, I can say it. I, you know, I have that experience myself. Both use CPAPs and it's been astounding for their health and and they really like it a lot. And I think that I looked at it years ago when I was much heavier, when I was, you know, 280, 300 pounds. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, you need it. And I don't remember if I tried it and decided not to, and I really should have. But I feel like since I lost weight, I... I got retested and I didn't have a need for it. So I find it surprising. And I wonder if that's kind of like the way that most people view it. I I typically view sleep apnea as something that would happen to someone who is overweight. Is that a misconception? It is. It is. And
0: what's really interesting to me is I have, it's called a joint hypermobility syndrome. I'll show you a trick. Yeah. So I can uh, basically bend things in at odd angles. Right. Well, it turns out that the stretchiness that I have in my joints is very similar to the stretchiness that I have in my palate. So my palate tends to sag, and so it can block my airway. And I think about one in 10 humans on the planet, we think, or at least in America, have some kind of joint hypermobility. I see a lot of these people in my clinic, and a lot of them do need CPAP. But they don't know it they think because they're thin that they that they don't need it they don't fit the like you say stereotype right
1: mm-hmm. I would have I had no idea I didn't know that and I would have thought exactly the same thing so I guess you're saying if you're if you're really flexible in weird ways yeah. and you're in not weird ways. Well, go check <laughs> it out right
0: I should check it out that's what I think because sometimes that is a driver for depression and diabetes both In yeah. fact, what they found is that over time, uh, sleep apnea affects your metabolic health, makes it hard to lose weight. Uh, The next day, because you're not sleeping, you crave junk food. Oh my gosh, I was such a junk food junkie, but that was years ago. But anyway, uh, so I don't know if it had to do with that, but I do know I was not sleeping at the time. Um, And then the other thing is that over time, over decades, it can actually impact your heart. You could actually go into heart failure because of sleep apnea.
1: I did not know that, and I'm doing a terrible job, everybody. By the way, this is Doctor Ann Childers, and she sees adolescent and adolescents and adults at her practice based in West Lynn, Oregon. Um, She's going to be a speaker. I'm going to get to meet her in person, and by the way, I can already tell we're going to be best friends, and we're going to do some extra video hopefully when we meet up this November 2019 at Low Carb Universe in Spain. I haven't been to Mallorca before. Have you?
0: Yes. You have last year. oh, I loved it. I heard it's just ridiculously gorgeous. It is gorgeous. And Hannah and Bitta make you feel so, so welcome. Well, I can't wait to check it out. We will both be there
1: speaking. So mm-hmm. register low carb universe. Come talk to us. Come hang out with us. We'll have a low carb drink, maybe tequila. I don't know. We'll see. It's um, incredible. Yeah. So when you talk about sleep, um, yes. I used to write for Huffington Post and then Ariana Huffington went and started Thrive, which I'm a big fan of, um, that focuses so much on lifestyle and sleep. And I find that so many people wear the lack of sleep like a badge of honor, right? Like this, this like, America, I'm an entrepreneur, yes. I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a All runner, right. I, you know, I, I work out and we use it as this excuse to sound cool about not getting sleep. I, you know, I stayed up till two last night and I got up at four. That's not what I did. I'm just saying, I I see that so much as an unhealthy kind of badge of honor that people talk about. And I think what you're talking about and and what they talk about on Thrive, the importance of sleep for health and how it affects our eating and how it gives us an ability to fast or how it gives us an ability to have less cravings is incredibly important. And it's one thing that we can do that doesn't require money a a lot of times if we don't have to take medications for it. And there's a lot of things we can do that get us in the position to have better sleep. So how did you become, like, uh, what made you decide to focus on sleeping and eating? Like, that's really, you know, what you're focused on. Why those two things?
0: Because I failed those two subjects for at least a couple of decades, and it just about took me out. Wow. It just about came real close. Um, I mean, I lost bone mass. By the time I was in my 40s, I had the bones of an 85-year-old woman. I mean, this is severe. This is really, uh, this is an F grade in both subjects. This is basically what I did to myself. And I did it as kind of a, like you say, like a badge of honor. I uh, was in the Air Force. I was overworked. I was seeing too many brand new patients for them uh, every month. It was crazy. And I eventually almost became crazy. I mean, it was horrible. It was horrible. And uh, I realized once I had pretty much trashed my own health and realized what I had done, you know, it's the craziest thing. It was a large animal veterinarian that opened my eyes to the fact that I was making huge mistakes here. So, uh, and I'd actually wiped out at least one mineral, and that was magnesium. So, I tell you what, I learned. I learned the hard way. And it's interesting how, when you become kind of like a reformed eater and sleeper, then suddenly you want to reform everybody because you see how much good it does.
1: Well, I do a lot of writing and speaking on women empowerment. And I'm curious to know from your point of view, you know, this badge of honor about sleep, I Mm -hmm. I find it across humans, but I feel like a lot of times I see it more in women. And I wonder if, if you see that too where it's women trying to do it all and trying to prove themselves by sleeping less and and doing more and showing the world that, you know, they can, which is amazing. I want to do it all. I'm all about that. Um, But I think a lot of times I I see, and I'm certainly not a doctor, but I perceive women giving up sleep to give to their family or give to their boss or give to anyone else but themselves. Yeah, they they take
0: care of themselves. But that's really, in my opinion, I think it's not their fault. I I grew up in an era when I had a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. She wanted to take a nap while we were at school. She could do that. Interesting. But these days, it takes two parents to support a household financially. Yeah, so A lot of moms don't have a choice, so they might as well wear it as a badge of honor because they're doing their duty, but not because they, uh, they have much control over it. Interesting. I think that's a big mistake. Okay. And although dads are pitching in more and more now usually it's left to the mom. They're the ones who breastfeed, they're the ones, et cetera, et cetera. So so they end up pretty worn out in a day. And I see them in my office, anxiety, depression, lack of sleep, lack of joy. Uh, And they think to themselves, you know, what's wrong with me? I must be a bad mother that I'm not willing to sacrifice all of this to keep my kids healthy. But there's something that we say, I'm a child psychiatrist as well as adult psychiatrist. Of and course you are. What aren't you? This is ridiculous. Keep
1: on <laughs> going. Tell me
0: more. So what we say in the biz is, you know, when you're on an, 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 at an airlines, when you're sitting in your passenger seat, always put your oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on your child. Yeah. Because if you're disoriented, you can't help them.
1: Yeah, I agree. I have a 12 and a half year old, almost 13, very important, yeah. everybody, almost 13 year old daughter. And, um, I feel like my mom, who I'm one of my best friends, an incredible woman taught me so much about work and about life. But I do feel like a lot of times she sacrificed her own health, her own self yeah. for the family, for her job, for whatever. And, yeah. and it it worried me, right? And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to put myself first and take care of myself so I could take care of my family so I could make money so I could do these things. And it's taken me a long time to get there. I think I've gotten there, but it, it, it took me till I was probably 38, 39, 40 to, to really get there. And I'm yeah. trying to teach that lesson to my daughter so she can put herself first, so she can make the life choices that she wants to have a family or not have a family and to have a job or not have a job. And, you know, Put herself in in healthy ways through sleep through nutrition through exercise through mental health where she will be the person she wants to be so it, it's really interesting to watch this human form right before my eyes and i, I just kind of can't wait to see what she she turns out to be it's, it's just a blast but um, you've done a lot of research yeah. you've been a big researcher on the digestive system of humans compared to other species. That's how you talk about dogs, which like, of course made me fall in love with you because I love dogs. Um, <laughs> are humans meant to be carnivorous or, how do I say this, herbivorous animals and uh-huh. why?
0: Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, we have a lot of flexibility because we have technology. That is what helps us prepare plants in ways that no other animal has to who relies on plants for health. So we can cook them. Yep. We pickle them, we can puree them, we can break down those cellulose walls mechanically and chemically outside our bodies. But it turns out we are not good cellulose digesters within. And that's what you have to be to be uh, an herbivore or a, an efficient omnivore. We don't have the equipment. And if you look at all the primates that are related to us, because you and I are both primates. Uh, the primates related to us have far more plant digestive capacity than we do. Even the chimpanzees were omnivores and have about 10% of their diet uh, from animal-derived products, including monkeys. So, in fact, they have elaborate hunting parties with assigned roles for each each ape, and each and the apes are generally males that are doing the hunting. It's it's incredible to watch. You should, you know, if anyone's interested, uh, go to YouTube and take a look at some of that footage because it's incredible. They go to great lengths to get the meat that they, that they require, and uh, they often offer it to females who are of reproductive age, so that should tell you something as well. But if you look at human beings, almost all of our digestive system is set up to absorb Uh, animal-derived products. It's just how we're made. But if you look globally at how we've adapted to being in all places on the Earth, you see at the equator more plants are incorporated because there are more plants there with readily derived energy and less plants are incorporated at the North Pole. So it's really interesting how humans have adapted to many ways of living. Primarily, like a lot of people point to the Egyptians. If you look at the Egyptian body habitus, it looks an awful lot like us. You'll see a lot of layers of fat. You don't see much uh, muscle definition. I think it's because they relied on grains. Grains, the the upside of grains for them was making it through famine. That Mm -hmm. is what it was used for. The downside was that they paid a price in terms of dental health and physical health. And that was pretty obvious. So, so, my I'm sorry? Sorry. So so
1: I don't really like vegetables. Mm-hmm. And my daughter and I were discussing your video last night, or one of your videos. And I was like, man, that'd be great. If I could just eat meat and fat and no vegetables and this doctor could <laughs> tell me to do that, I'd be really happy. And my daughter, on the other hand, I really struggle because mm-hmm. we helped her change the way she ate. We, we were sugar addicts and carb addicts and we've overcome those things. Um, yeah. And she's doing great. And She eats much less sugar than I would say a typical 12 year old does now. And we don't have those things in the house, you know, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. But she really just doesn't like meat that much. Like she uh-huh. eats like two or three kinds of meat. Not that often salmon, steak, little beef, like that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. I love all kinds of meat. She really likes vegetables. I don't really like vegetables, so we struggle. Um, And I was talking to her this morning about finding more meats that she will eat and and like. Do you have any suggestions? So first of all, her first question was, ask this doctor, does that mean that humans can just not eat vegetables? Like that was her question, because even though she likes them, I, I think maybe I wanted to know that more actually.
0: Well, if you go far north, you see that they really lived without vegetables, mm-hmm. so it's possible there's no vegetables up there really right. and and there is some seasonal things like fruits, berries, things like that, but it's a very short season, very short growing season so the so for the Inuit, the major foods were came from seal, walrus, et cetera, et cetera in fact, I had the privilege, privilege of Meeting a tribeswoman who was still in that way of life. She was still eating raw walrus, and while she was you eating tried? that, way, she was in excellent health. Yeah, she's from the Aleutian Islands. Did you try raw walrus? No, I did not. Them. I just wanted no, to hear But I, I met her. I, I got to interview her, which yeah. was because she's probably the last of the humans that will be doing this. Interesting. So, yeah she said she she ate that way. She was in excellent health. When she moved to Fairbanks and started eating uh, fast food and processed foods, her eyesight started, she started getting more nearsighted. A lot of the things that she enjoyed before in terms of health started on the decline, dental health, and eventually her mental health.
1: Well, years ago, I had to start wearing glasses. Mm -hmm. And then I went low carb and i lost my glasses mm. um i don't know what that says about my brain i lost my glasses <laughs> one day don't know where they are to this day i hate to do an intermittent fasting and i lost weight and i worked out and i felt healthier and then i went back for an exam i'm like finally like dude i gotta get some new glasses I'm like, yeah. you don't need glasses you, my my vision got better and went back so it was, it was really interesting. Okay, talk to me about the human brain development and evolution um, required with the, the carnivore diet. So how does food affect the brain?
0: Okay, so, so there are a couple of fuels that the brain can use. One is glucose, which is blood sugar. Glucose comes from sugars, grains. Those are primary sources of glucose in the American diet. They also come from fruits, some vegetables, uh, and... Uh, and the glucose loads of each of these foods is different. So, um, and in the American diet, the processed foods, especially ultra processed foods, are usually loaded with glucose producing elements. Uh, so, and there are parts of the nerves that apparently need glucose. So the body is always trying to make sure that there's plenty of it. In fact, if there is no glucose source to be had, the body will use gluconeogenesis. That's the new formation of glucose from, guess what people, meat, proteins. Your body can actually do that, and a little bit from fat. So glucose is essential, and then there are, of course, the ketones, the ketone bodies, also help to fuel the brain and when people are in ketosis they have access usually to both fuels and here we're talking about someone who's not a type 1 diabetic we're talking about people who have normal metabolism they can actually run on two fuels at once so the brain has a lot of uh, which i say flexibility The brain is very flexible when it comes to fuels, but sometimes glucose loads can be too hot for the brain. And we think that it actually may eventually lead to neurological problems. Mm -hmm. At least we have seen with the ketogenic diet where you're going way down on uh, externally derived glucose, that is glucose from foods, you go way down to almost nothing. And what we found is that that actually controls epilepsy, and that was its first use. So it's pretty amazing what the brain can adapt to. Like I said, the Egyptians they could adapt to grains; their brains were obviously working, but they succumbed to disease in many cases that were a lot like chronic kind of diseases that we experience today.
1: Um, so humans are really adaptable. We can kind of eat just about anything because we can prepare things. We can do it, but. People really need to research, talk to their doctor, yes. talk to other doctors, read yes. things, and pay attention to how they feel. Right. Um, I don't think your doctor can really understand what it is like to be the individual of you. I think they're trying to help as best they can, but they only you know. What makes you feel good? I have friends who are vegetarians and they look great and they feel great and it's their thing. And I support them in finding what is best for them. Cause I don't know their health and I don't live inside their body. I know for me that, um, meat is important. Fat is important. And when I eat very little sugar, I'm not perfect, but when I eat very little sugar and low carb and I eat lots of fat and lots of meat and a little bit of vegetables, I feel good great i get sick less and the same thing goes for my husband and my daughter and and so ketogenic diet for us has has been really great and i find it really interesting the things that it's helping in healthcare with epilepsy and dementia and alzheimers and you know cancer and things that people are are using so we're here today to to open your mind about these things to explore it not to tell you we've got it everything figured out for you this lady has a lot more figured out through research than i do but looking more into opportunities that are before medicine that are before illness, where you can possibly change the way that you feel. Yes. Um, I, I want to hear a little bit about what will you be talking about specifically? Cause you kind of seem to know about everything. Um, you know, we're talking about sleep. We're talking about nutrition. We're talking about, you know, the brain and and glucose. What are you going to be talking about at right. low carb universe?
0: Yes. Low carb universe in Mallorca. Yes. Yes. What will you
1: be talking about there? Uh,
0: I'm going to be, I'm more of a big, big overview person, and less of a tiny details into the biochemistry person. Yes, I took a year of biochemistry uh, as an undergrad, but I was a zoology major, and I think that is what gave me something of an inch, because my mind was, they say chance favors the prepared mind, and my mind was prepared to take a look at different species. And so I'm going to be bringing that to the fore. I'm also going to be talking about uh, the potential of uh, low-carbon keto for bipolar disorder. It just as, okay, so to give you a background, uh, the keto diet, as I previously mentioned, was used for epilepsy, all right? Until until the anti-epileptic drugs came, which psychiatrists call mood stabilizers. We use the very same drugs for different purposes in psychiatry. But what if keto is a mood stabilizer? What if it is? And so that's something that I'm going to be talking about as well. I have a really great case to present. Um, so I'll be going from the zoology down to the biology and then my work with uh, continuous glucose monitors, which I provide free of charge to my patients in exchange for their uh, data, which will remain unidentified. So their identification will not be there. But I think that people will see some very interesting cases to uh, illustrate my point. One of them, I'm sorry?
1: Yeah, I love that you are talking about food and diet and sleep and its effect on mental health so we're becoming as a society i think better equipped better supportive of people looking for mental health talking about mental health being not um not being prejudiced against people with mental health issues Mm -hmm. i am a huge supporter of mental health and therapists and taking care of the most important physical part of my body. Um, mm-hmm. And and the fact that I know that when I ate a different way, I had depression a couple times in my life, twice in my life, which isn't too mm-hmm. bad at 45. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that I think now looking back at it, I had to fight a lot harder when my body was overrun with sugar mentally than yeah. I do now. I, I think more clearly, I'm just less miserable. Um, yeah. And I've always been a pretty dang happy person for the most part, mm-hmm. but it made that battle easier. And I can't imagine the possibilities around people who really struggle with an illness, a mental illness, and the fact that their diet could substantially help with that or substantially mm-hmm. perhaps give them a different experience. And I love yes. that you're going to be talking about that. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. I think the most common thing is something that you've just referred to and I call it brain fog. It's uh, very, it's very widespread. Sometimes it comes from lack of sleep, but it's usually a combination of things. And uh, I'll be presenting a case of brain fog that, that resolved within a week. Wow. So, uh, and, and this is what I see. So it's interesting to me that the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, of which I'm a member, uh, published a pamphlet and they, on daytime, well, one of the sections of that pamphlet was about what we call daytime somnolence. It's where you're feeling asleep or sleepy during the day. Okay. And one of their primary recommendations for that, that the average patient can do, is to cut bad carbs. Wow. Okay, yeah, I agree. That That's totally great. makes sense. <laughs> Listen, we are almost out of
1: time. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody was going to do one thing to get better sleep, just one thing you could tell them today, what would you, your first suggestion be?
0: Number one, pick a time to go to bed and stay with it. All right, I can do that. bedtime a moving target for your body. Okay. Eventually can do your it. body will figure it out. And you'll be on the nose. All but right. Unless and, you have a sleep disorder. But Right. And one
1: things. thing a person could do to examine or improve their diet, one step that they could take today?
0: Uh, one step, get rid of sugars and grains. Love it. See, I, I just feel like sometimes we get so
1: overwhelmed by so much knowledge and good advice and we're just like, oh, just tell me one dang thing to do. So thank you for doing that. So everybody tonight, pick your bedtime, minus 10 o'clock. I'm going to bed by 10. It happens. Sometimes I go to bed a little early, honestly. Um, and then uh, I don't eat much sugar, so I'm going to keep on that road and keep doing that. And and it's, it's definitely been amazing for me. Um, mm-hmm. Dr. Childers, where can people go to find you on social media to hear about your practice, to hear you speak? So first, social media. Where can they find you?
0: Social media. I spend most of my time on Twitter uh, at Ann Childers MD or Doctor Ann. Okay. So, so at or do you have two Twitters?
1: No, it's just okay. at Ann Childers, MD. And then my handle is Got it. Ann Childers, MD. Got it. Perfect. And so you're mostly on Twitter. So we'll find you at Ann Childers, MD on Twitter. And then what about what's your website? And like, what if somebody wants to see you?
0: Okay, so it, the website is Life Balance NW. NW stands for Northwest. Life Balance NW.com. Uh,
1: Perfect. And we're going to put these links on the show as well. So you'll have them all there and you can just click them. And you're going to be at low carb universe in Mallorca, Spain in November of 2019 speaking fabulously. And I will be watching. I can't wait to see you there. Um, I want to talk to you some more. Will you do some videos with me in Spain? I would love that. Yes, we're going to do it. Okay, perfect. I'll be there. Okay, good. I can't wait to see you guys. Thank you so much for being here at the Life in the Fasting Lane podcast. You can get more tips on fasting, keto, low carb at fastinglane.com and find us on Instagram and Twitter at Fasting Lane. Until next time, to your health and hotness.